Good morning. If you're a guest with us for the first time today, we're very happy that you're here. And please be sure to introduce yourself uh, to me or to Jeff or to one of the other pastors or elders, men that you see around. We would love to meet you. Uh, actually, I, want, I have a, a brief announcement right now before, uh, before I start the sermon. Uh, after the service today at 12.15 or so, depending on when I get done, um, we would like all the elders and the pastors to meet back in Tim's office, in Pastor Bailey's office, at about 12.15. Uh, take the time to meet our guests and, and to visit and fellowship with one another, but then let's have a, a brief meeting after that. Well, last week I preached to you from the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, where God says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a fire, and He can be quenched. And I said last week that the main way that we quench the Holy Spirit is by not wanting, by not expecting, by not asking Him to work in us, and to work among us, and to work through us. And this morning I want to look at the other do not in regards to the Holy Spirit. It's Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a fire who can be quenched. And the Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved. One explanation for our spiritual deadness and grayness and blandness and powerlessness and coldness is that we quench the Holy Spirit. Another explanation is that we grieve Him. I don't want to ask three questions about that this morning to help us think about this, to help us to obey God's command, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Number one, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Number two, how do we do it? Number three, why should we not grieve the Holy Spirit? So first of all, what does it mean? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, what, is the, what does the word grieve mean? What would be the definition of the word grieve? Anybody? To cause sorrow. What else? To make sad. That's the same thing. <laughs> What's that? I... To mourn. To hurt, to distress, right? We all know what the word grieve means. God commands us, do not sadden or hurt or distress the Holy Spirit. Now that's an amazing thing to say. What it means, obviously, is that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And that is amazing because Scripture tells us what God is like. God is completely above us and beyond us and different from us. He is completely independent of us. Ultimately, God is completely unaffected by everything that happens on this earth. Nothing that we do changes Him. He is completely independent of us. And yet it says it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what do we make of that? How is that possible? The answer to that question, if we really grabbed a hold of it and, and sunk our teeth into it, would make us filled with wonder and worship. Because what it means 
is that in His infinite mercy, God has stooped down to us. He has stooped down to us. He has come down to us. The infinite God who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, the great God of glory, has stooped down to us. He stooped down to us when His Son became a man for us and for our salvation. He stooped down to us as we've read In our call to worship this morning from Philippians 2, He stooped down to us when He took on human nature and He took on a human body. He was was God. He is God. And yet He humbled Himself. He emptied Himself, not by becoming less, but by taking on something. By taking on the form of a man. The form of a servant. Ultimately, In order to die on a cross, He stooped down to us. He took on our weakness. He knows our weakness. He knows our ignorance. He knows our frailty. He knows by His own experience exactly what it is to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tired, to feel pain. He knows what it is to be tempted. He stooped down. And He brought Himself within the realm of those kinds of experiences, the kinds of things that we know all the time. And the same thing is true of the Holy Spirit. For the sake of our salvation, the Holy Spirit has stooped down to us. And He's stooped down. He has come to live in us. And so it's possible for us to grieve Him. In redemption, the Holy Spirit has put Himself into a relationship with us in which it's possible for us to hurt Him, to grieve Him, to disappoint Him, to cause Him pain. That should fill us with wonder. Now, what does that mean? It means, first of all, obviously that the Holy Spirit is a person. And secondly, it means that that a Christian's relationship to the Holy Spirit is a relationship of love. Think about this question. When you sin, When you sin against God and you know you've sinned against God, what is the thing that bothers you the most about that? What bothers you the most when you realize that you've sinned against God? Is it that you've broken, you know, you haven't measured up to your own standards? And so your disappointment is ultimately in yourself because you expect better things for yourself. Is it that you have offended your own principles? Is it even primarily that you have broken God's law? Is that the most offensive thing to you? What should bother you the most when you sin is not that you have broken the moral code of God. Now understand what I mean by that. You could be upset with yourself for breaking the moral code of God, and it could have nothing to do with your relationship with God. It could have everything to do with your own pride. What should bother you the most is that you have offended against love. This term grieve makes that perfectly clear for us. Our sanctification is wrapped around the reality that you have a relationship of love with the Holy Spirit. And your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, is a personal one. Failing to see that is the cause of all kinds of problems for us. If you think of the Holy Spirit just as an influence, or just as a power, or just as a force, then you rip the heart out of Christian obedience. 
The Holy Spirit is a person. You cannot grieve an influence. You cannot hurt a force. You can't sadden a power. But you can hurt a person. And the Holy Spirit is a person who lives in you. He has an intimate personal connection with everyone who is a Christian. Where does the Bible teach us that? There are a couple of places in in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The first time that he says it, he's talking about the church as a whole. He's not talking about individuals. He's talking about the church. The body of Christ, us together, when we come together, this is where the Holy Spirit dwells in a unique way. The The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says very frightening words. He says, whoever... Whoever destroys the temple of God, meaning the church of God, I will destroy, God says. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in the middle, in the midst of the people of God. But then in chapter 6, he says, speaking about to individual Christians about the issue of the sin of, of sexual immorality, he says that you and your body, your particular body, you, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You belong to someone else. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He dwells in you. There is an intimate, personal, specific relationship that you have as a Christian with the Holy Spirit. And as long as you ignore that reality, as long as you fail to see it, as long as you fail to see the Holy Holy Spirit as a person who loves you, then all of your attempts at obedience to God will fall flat. Because the heart of true obedience to God is love. Everything that God says to us is summed up by that term. We just saw it again in in 1 John 3. What it means to obey God is to love Him. When we love Him, we'll keep His commandments. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. All of God's commandments are summed up. The whole process of of growing as a Christian and obeying Him is summed up with love. And if you fail to see the Holy Spirit as a person who loves you, all of your attempts at obedience will fall flat. The heart of true obedience is love to God, love that is a response to His love for you. And if you only think of the Holy Spirit as an influence or as a force, not as a person to be loved, then you cut your own legs out from under you when it comes to obeying God. And so to grieve the Holy Spirit is to sadden Him, to offend To hurt a person who intends to have a very intimate and personal relationship with you. Secondly, how do we do it? How do we actually grieve the Holy Spirit? How do we sadden Him? How do we hurt Him? Ephesians 4 gives us some of the ways. If you look at the place where this command comes to us, it's in Ephesians 4 verse 30. And if you open your Bible and look at this passage with me, you'll see it. Starting around verse 17. 
And he gives all kinds of commands, one command after another, very practical commands, down-to-earth commands. We'll, I'll look at them here in a second. And then you get to this one in verse 30 where it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And you think, why did he say that here? Is this random? Why did he put it here? In the middle of things like control your tongue and don't steal, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that the reason he puts it right there is because all of these kinds of things that surround the command of verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, all the things around it are the ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit. Some of the ways. Look what I mean. Verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Don't live. If you're a Christian, do not live as if you're not a Christian. Verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Tell the truth. Do not lie. Verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And then verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Disobeying those kinds of commands grieves and saddens and hurts the Holy Spirit. Living like an unbeliever grieves the Holy Spirit. Lying grieves the Holy Spirit. Giving yourself to sinful anger. Holding on to grudges. Stealing. Failing to work hard so that you can have something to share grieves the Holy Spirit. Letting rotten words come out of your mouth. Failing to build up the people around you with the words that you use. Being bitter and angry and malicious and slanderous. Failing to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. All of those kinds of things sadden and grieve the Holy Spirit. And obviously that's not all. That's not the exhaustive list of what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. There's much more than that. Anything that's contrary to God's will grieves His Holy Spirit. Words, you've seen words in... Ephesians 4, the kinds of words that we use, rotten words as opposed to words that build up, actions. It's not just words and actions, though. It's even thoughts and attitudes. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person who knows you, who lives inside of you, and who knows exactly what's going on. The Holy Spirit sees and knows even the depths of your thoughts. Even the motives behind your thoughts, Scripture says. You might say, but I didn't do such and such. You didn't do it, and you probably didn't do it just because you're a coward and you're afraid what will happen if you do. But you thought about it. You enjoyed it. You turned it over in your mind. You carried on. You played the video in your head. You played with it. You tasted it. You savored it. 
and you thought it was okay because you didn't actually do it. It's nonsense. You have grieved the Holy Spirit of God who is in you. It's not just in your actions, but your words grieve Him. It's not just your words, your thoughts and your attitudes grieve Him. What else? What other kinds of things grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, here's a really, here's a huge one. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we fail to recognize His presence in us and we fail to honor Him and relate to Him as a person. Think of this. Is there anything more, more hurtful, any more insulting than that? Have you ever been clearly and blatantly completely ignored? You walk into a room and there are other people there and it's obvious that they know you're there. They have eyeballs in their head, but they completely ignore you. You walk in and they act as if you do not exist. They act as if you're not in the room. Has anyone ever refused to speak to you, refused to even look at you? What is that like? It's incredibly hurtful. In fact, by the way, that's exactly why some of you do that to your husbands and wives. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly how hurtful it is to give someone the silent treatment, and that is exactly why you do it. You want to cause your husband grief. You want to hurt him. You want to punish him. You want to get your pound of flesh, not by yelling or throwing lamps and rolling pins, but by being silent. And you know exactly what you're doing. Think of what it is to do that with God the Holy Spirit. We do it all the time, don't we? We completely fail to even think of Him as a person. It doesn't even enter into our minds that He's a person let alone a person who's living inside of us. We ignore him. We act as if he doesn't exist. Or at least we act as if he's an impersonal, vague force. Or we act as if he's distant from us. But the, but the truth is that he is right here with us. He is inside of us. And we have to interact with him and relate to him as a person. Now, what does that look like? What would it look like for us to interact with the Holy Spirit as a person? Well, the Bible tells us all kinds of things that it would look like. John, or Jesus says in John 14:26 that the Holy Spirit is the helper or the comforter. That's a very personal thing, isn't it? That's not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a helper and a comforter. Do you think of the Holy Spirit as your helper? Do you relate to Him? Do you talk to Him when you need comforting, when you need help? Do you go to Him for help and comfort? Do you turn to Him? Just like you would turn to any other person, do you turn to Him and ask Him and talk to Him and ask Him to help you and comfort you? Or what about this? Paul says in 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. this is one of those things that we hear all the time because it's one of the benedictions we use at the end of our services, it's 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What is fellowship? It's an intimate sharing. It's an intimate relationship of sharing with with one another, with someone else. Do you seek after a relationship of fellowship, of sharing, of intimacy with the Holy Spirit? Is that something that you even know exists and you seek after and you want it and you ask for it and you cultivate it? Or have you ever noticed in all the, all the places in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit does what people do? He speaks to people. He communicates. Acts 8.29 says, The Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join his chariot. That's the story of Philip, the evangelist, and the Ethiopian eunuch who's in a chariot. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, You go chase down that chariot. You need to talk to him. The Holy Spirit speaks to him. Or Acts 11:12, Peter says, after the, uh, the people come to him, wanting him to go and talk to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, about the gospel. And he says, the Holy Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. The Holy Spirit told me to go. Or Acts 13:2, in the church in Antioch, when they're gathering together and they're worshiping and they're praying and they're fasting, Asking God for, for what should we do in the vision of this church. It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Or Acts 16, you have Paul traveling around uh, the area of, of Asia, well, Asia Minor, what we would think of as modern day Turkey. And he's traveling around preaching the gospel. And he wants to go into certain areas. And the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there. It says in verses 6 and 7, they pass through the Phryg- Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, did not permit them. They were in communion. They were communicating. The Holy Spirit was communicating with them. Do not do that. Don't go there. Go here instead. Don't go there. Go here. So having a relationship with the Holy Spirit as a person looks like Him comforting, helping. It looks like you having fellowship with Him. It looks like Him in some way communicating with you. It looks like what it looks like to have a relationship with any other person. You speak to Him. You relate to Him. You ask Him to do for you the things that He has said He would do for you. What else? What about Romans 5.5? 5, 5? A verse that I read to you last week. It says, And hope does not disappoint. He says, we, we exult, we rejoice, even in our sufferings, even when the world falls apart around us. We rejoice because we have hope. And that hope does not disappoint us Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you have a sense of the love of God? God's love for you. Do you have a taste, a sense, that you can feel and know of God's love being poured out in you through the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it is to have the Holy Spirit communicate a sense of God's love for you? Romans 
It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Holy Spirit is a person who works in us and works with us to kill our sin. Do you seek His help? Do you ask Him to help you to do that very difficult work, just like you'd ask anyone else to do you a difficult, to help you do a difficult work? Do you seek the help? Do you ask the Holy Spirit to do what He said He would do to help you kill your sin? Or how about Romans 8.26? Another one I read to you last week. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you seek the Holy Spirit's help as you pray? When you sit down to pray, and you're, you're distracted, and your heart is hard, and you're cold. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And you close your eyes and you fall asleep or your mind wanders. What do you do? Oh, I've got I've to I've do this better. I can't, I can't believe that I can't pray. I'm so bad. I've got to uh, try harder some more. What do you do? Does it ever even occur to you, Holy Spirit, help me to pray. Help me to pray. I don't even know what I should say. I'm weak. I can't do this. Holy Spirit, help me to pray. Does it even cross our minds to ask Him? Paul says in Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to abound in hope? To overflow, to excel, to, to have lots of hope. You do want that, right? Do you think you can abound in hope if you ignore the one who will enable you to abound in hope? Or do you seek the help of the person of the Holy Spirit to give you the power to abound in hope? Do you understand what I'm saying? God tells us all kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does as a person. That we need Him to do. All kinds of things that we have to have Him to do. But do we actually seek out and cultivate a relationship with Him so that He will do those things? No wonder we don't have them. Do we seek Him for comfort? Do we seek Him for fellowship? Do we seek Him for wisdom and direction? Do we seek Him for a felt sense of God's love for us? Do we seek Him for power to kill our sin? Do we seek Him for help when we pray? Do we seek Him for the power to abound in hope? Or do we practically deny His existence altogether by ignoring Him? We read the Bible and we read everything that's given to us as normal for a Christian and we say, my life doesn't measure up to that and we think, therefore, that is wrong. How foolish of us. It's not that the Scripture is wrong. We don't judge the Scripture by our pale experience. We judge our experience by the Scripture and no wonder our experience doesn't match the Scripture. We grieve the Holy Spirit. 
To ignore the Holy Spirit, to act as if, as if we can't interact with him as a person, is to grieve him. How else do we do it? How else do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Every time, every time we fail to respond to his promptings, or his leading, or his direction, or his influences, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you ever found yourself unexplainably moved to read Scripture, to pray for someone? Have you ever found yourself moved to, to do something or to speak to someone with this overwhelming sense of necessity, I've got to do this? That is the work of God's Holy Spirit in you. And if you say, no, no, not now, no, that's crazy, no, I, it doesn't fit my schedule, maybe later, I don't want people to think I'm weird, no, I'm not going to do that. Then you are grieving the Holy Spirit. If you do not respond to Him, or if you're insensitive to Him, or if you refuse to be led by Him, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And some of us have trained ourselves well. And we become hard and calloused and insensitive and we don't even feel it anymore. Because we've, been, we've, we've, we've become so good at stiff-arming God. When you sense God speaking to you, when you sense God, the Holy Spirit, moving you to obey or to risk or to speak or to pray, do it. Do not harden yourself against the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we've seen what it is to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's to sadden Him, to hurt Him as a person who intends to have a relationship of love with us. We've seen the ways that we do it. Now, why would you not want to? Why should you even care about this command? Well, really, I've already been answering that question, haven't I? We must not grieve the Holy Spirit because of who He is and what He does. He is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is instrumental in our redemption. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all work for your salvation. And the work of the Holy Spirit is this ongoing work in us that is not finished yet. Think about this. The work of the, of the Father, the work of God the Father is done. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. It was done before you were even born. The work of God the Son is done. After He had bought us with His blood, after He had redeemed us, after He had offered Himself once and for all as a sacrifice for our sins. He went to heaven and He sat down. He's done. But the Holy Spirit is still at work. How crazy is it that we are least familiar with the person and work of the Holy Spirit when He is the one who actually lives within us? You could tell me all about the work of God the Father. You could tell me all about the work of God the Son. How much do you actually know? about the work of God the Spirit. The one who is still at work in you. The one whose work is continuing and ongoing and will not be done until we stand in His presence and glory. 
He is the one whose work is continuing in us. We depend on Him for everything. We depend on Him for spiritual life, for power, for vitality, for hope, for strength to fight against our sin. All of that depends on Him. And yet He's the one we least think about or communicate with or actively relate to. And so what will happen to you if you grieve the Holy Spirit? If you grieve the Holy Spirit, it will ultimately lead to your own misery as a Christian. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, He will take away the manifestations of His presence from you. If you grieve Him, He will withdraw Himself. Now, I do not mean that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit will actually leave you and you will, you'll be left without the Holy Spirit. What I mean is that if you grieve the Holy Spirit, He will take away your sense of Him and your experience of what He does. He will draw, withdraw. He will take away from you the manifestations, the evidences of His presence. I plead with you, for your own sake, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, you will not have a sense of God's love for you that is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, you will not have the joy of salvation. You will not have assurance that God has accepted you. You will not have certainty. You will not be able to say, the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. I'm not saying that you will be lost. I'm saying that you will miss the comforts and the blessings of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And if you do not have a felt sense, not a theoretical sense in your head, but a felt sense of the presence and the favor and the power and the love of God, you will not find yourself obeying Him. The strength of a Christian is his joy. If you're a Christian, you were meant to know the joy of God. A normal Christian is not one who trudges his weary way through this weary world, always moaning, bemoaning, mourning. A Christian does mourn when he looks inside and sees the sin that still remains in him. But you can't just look inside, you must look outside of yourself and see Jesus. And when you look outside and see yourself as you really are in Jesus Christ, forgiven by Jesus Christ, accepted by Him, then you will greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what it means normally to be a Christian. But you'll know none of that if you grieve the Holy Spirit. All of the felt sense of His presence, all the experiences of Him pouring out a felt sense of God's love for you, all of the experiences of His joy and hope filling you, all of it will be taken away and you will be left to yourself. And you will lose any sense of the warmth of fellowship, the comfort, the assurance that He gives when He comes, when He makes Himself known to you, when He meets with you. And tells you, makes you know that you belong to Him. You will miss all of that. 
And where will that leave you? Triumphant over your lust? Triumphant over your addiction to pornography? Triumphant over your bitterness and your pettiness and your selfishness and your worry and your fear? Is that where it will leave you? Of course not. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, everything that you need to obey will be lost. I'm going to close by reading a quote to you that explains why many of us are bland and flat and gray and powerless in our lives as Christians and why many of us never seem to make any progress in our obedience to God. This is a quote from a man named Maurice Roberts. Some of you know the, the, uh, the little magazine called Banner of Truth. Crusty, crusty, reformed dude. Maurice Roberts. Old British, crusty man. Just so you know. So we must be right. Listen to what he says. Ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul and they promote sanctification. We were not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration. And the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heart warming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not, as he ought, from the Spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. Does this explain your life? The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of a Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search for other lovers. Does that explain you? If it does, you have grieved the Holy Spirit. But the good news is that He will come back to you. He will draw near to you. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. He will draw near to you. He is a person. He is filled with love for you. He is filled with kindness towards you. Everything that God sent Him to do, He wants to do it for you. If you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. Don't think that because you've grieved the Holy Spirit, now you have to suffer in the coldness, in the blandness, in the dryness. Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. Will you draw near to Him? Now, if you're not a Christian at all, if you've, if you've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, or if you have heard it, but you've never understood it, or if you've heard it and understood it, but you've never bent your knee in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, I would love to talk with you and tell you how you can have everything that I've been speaking about today. 
if you will trust in Jesus Christ. All of these things are, are held out for all of you, all of us. If we will come to Jesus Christ and cast ourselves on him and trust him alone, that goes for all of us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's pray together.